This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching today for the first time, and we appreciate those who watch every time we come on the air. I'd invite you to stay tuned today as we'll be discussing a very important subject entitled, The Scheme of Redemption. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we continue to offer a free Bible correspondence course. We'd like for you to have this course in order that you might know more about it, and in order that you might know how to receive the course, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. To lay the groundwork for our discussion of the scheme of redemption, I'd like to read a few passages out of the book of, first of Ephesians, and in the first chapter of Ephesians, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The world needs God. I think the fact that the world needs God is evident from the condition of the world. That is the spiritual condition of the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says that the whole world lies in wickedness. But in spite of the fact that the world is in sin or in wickedness, God loves the world, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Romans 5 and 8 reads, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, God loves the world. And even when the world was in rebellion against God and did not want God, God still loved man. And it's because of God's great love 
that has a scheme. The word scheme simply means a plan. God has a scheme of redemption, that is, of salvation. God has a plan of salvation for the human family. I want us to think, first of all, about God's part in that plan. We notice in verse 3 that God has blessed us. He has blessed us with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. There are blessings that God will give to all people regardless of whether they are uh, saints or sinners. For example, God lets the sun shine upon the righteous as well as upon the unrighteous. He lets the rain fall upon the righteous and well as, as well as upon the unrighteous. But there are certain blessings that are confined to people that are in Jesus Christ and those blessings are referred to as being spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. So God's part in this plan of salvation is that he has provided and blessed us with spiritual blessings. In the next place, we notice in verse 4 that he chose us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then according to verse 5, he predestined us to the adoption of sons and to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And then verse 6 says that he made us accepted in the beloved. Think about that. Accepted. Accepted in the beloved. And so I want to just think about this choosing that he's talking about here. This being predestined that he's talking about in verse 4 and in verse 5. Listen to it again. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. I want you to notice these things about God's choosing or God's predetermining things. God chose the place and it is in Christ. Notice verse 4 again. Just as he chose us in him. So God chose the place. God chose the plan. Notice verse 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted... After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, that's in Christ, also having believed. Having believed. So God chose the plan. He had a plan of faith. And God chose the provision. That's in verse 5. And he chose us by Jesus Christ to himself. So when we think about divine choosing or predestination, God chose the place in Christ. God chose the plan having believed. And God chose the provision by Christ Jesus. But God also chose the purpose. Notice in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Notice in verse number 12. To the praise of His glory. Then notice in verse 14. To the praise of His glory. 
Now can think about those four things that we have mentioned about divine choosing or predestination. God chose the place, God chose the plan, God chose the provision, and God chose the purpose. Now, it is up to man to exercise his free will in that choosing. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, Joshua said, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Why make a statement like that to a people if they were not able to choose? The reason was they were able to choose. In John chapter 5 and 40, Jesus said, And you would not come unto me that you might have life. Why might make a statement like that unless man was capable of responding and accepting the life that Jesus offered. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why say come unless a man can come? It is up to a man to exercise his free will. Now there are some that teach that God from all eternity predetermined who would be saved, who would be lost, without the number being changed so that not a single one could be added or not a single one could be taken away. That, that's a reflection, first of all, upon God's mercy. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us. It is a reflection upon God's great mercy to say that God determined a certain number that would be saved and a certain number that would be lost. That's a reflection upon God's impartial nature. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 says that there is no respect of persons with God. Furthermore, it is a reflection upon God's desire to save the world. God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is the desire of God that all people be saved. But for all people to be saved, they must exercise their freedom of choice and make the right decisions in life. And so it's a reflection upon God to, to say that there are certain numbers saved, certain number lost, and it cannot be changed. It reflects on His mercy, it reflects on His impartial nature, and it reflects on His desire to save all mankind. But it is also a reflection upon the Lord's invitation, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And so th this just does not uh, square with Scripture. This also is a reflection on man's ability to choose. Well, a man can make a decision about what, who his master is going to be. No man can serve two masters either. He will hate one, love the other. He will hold a one. He will despise the other. Man has the ability to make that choice, to make that decision. God predestines who will be saved, but it is up to each person 
to make the right choice. I want you to note some passages out of the book of Romans, the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning in verse number 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And verse 28 says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now notice this now. To those who are called according to his purpose. Notice verse 28. Those who are the, the called according to his purpose. Then verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now verse 30, moreover whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now I want you to notice these logical conclusions. Conclusion number one, the called, or rather the glorified, are people who have been justified. Notice verse 30, the latter part of verse 30, whom he justified, he glorified. So the glorified are the justified. But now the justified are the called. He, moreover, he predestined these. He also called. Whom he called, he also justified. That's verse 30. So the glorified are the justified. The justified are the called. But the called are the predestined. Notice verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Now, I want you to think about those three things. This is in Romans chapter 8, the latter part of verse 30 beginning, and we're working from the end of the verse backward. The glorified are the justified. That's what the text says. The justified are the called. And then the text also says that the called are they predestined? So the question is, who are the called? Now look at verse 28 again. We know that all things work together for good to, to those who love God, to those who are the called. Who are the called? According to Romans 8 and verse 28. The called are those who love God. Those who love him keep his commandments. First John 5 and 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Therefore, logically speaking, the predestined are those who love God and obey God. God's part in the scheme of redemption was predetermining, that is, predestined those who obey him to be saved. But what about the part that Jesus Christ played in the scheme of redemption? Go back now to Ephesians, the first chapter, and notice in verse number 7. 
in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God had a part in the scheme of redemption. God predestined that those who were the called would be saved. And the called, in Romans 8, 28, are the people who love God and those who love God obey God. Logically speaking, those who obey God are those who are the predestined. Now, in verse 7, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Jesus shed his blood. Thus, we can be redeemed. That is, we can have forgiveness because of Jesus' blood. This is what the scheme of salvation is all about, what the plan of salvation is all about. And we can be redeemed because of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we can have an inheritance. Notice verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so because of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed and we can have an eternal inheritance. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he says, who, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now I want you to notice verse 12 of chapter 2. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So those were, that without Christ had no hope. With Christ, we have hope. We have hope because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And regardless of who we are, or regardless of what we have done, Christ died to save you. He died to save you. I've had people tell me uh, things like this. I've been so bad, I don't believe the Lord could ever save me. Well, that's the kind of an individual Jesus came to save. Jesus in Luke 5, 31 and 32 said, They that are righteous need not a doctor, but those that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ said people that are not sick don't need to go to a doctor. It's people that are sick that need a doctor. And Jesus is the doctor who never lost a case. Jesus Christ shed his blood for the redemption of the whole human family. Je Jesus' blood was shed to take away the Old Testament law. Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, taking it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The law served its purpose in bringing men to Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.24 and 25. And now Jesus Christ shed his blood to do away with that law. Jesus also shed his blood to give a new law, the New Testament. In Matthew 5 and 17, Jesus said, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. And Jesus did fulfill the law in that Jesus lived by the law as no other person had ever been able to do. Jesus lived by it perfectly. But Jesus also fulfilled the prophecies and the predictions that were in the law. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. And when Jesus died on that cross, he sealed the New Testament. 
In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. But Jesus also shed his blood to purchase the church. Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church is blood-bought, bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus also shed his blood to reconcile men to God. Look at Ephesians 2.16. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death their enmity. Jesus shed his blood. He shed his blood for the sins of the whole human family. And today we can have our sins cleansed because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to it, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That which washes away our sins is Jesus' blood. But when does that blood wash away our sins? Well, the answer to that is found in the 22nd chapter of Acts. And verse 16, Why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus' blood was shed. Listen to it again. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You see, when Jesus shed his blood, he was opening up a way into heaven for you and for me. In the Old Testament, blood of animals was offered. But we, turn, we learn in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 that it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle to offer sacrifice for himself and for the people. And when Jesus died, the veil was rent in the temple, opening the way into heaven for all mankind. Jesus had a part in this plan. He died on the cross. God determined it, planned it, and then Jesus Christ executed that plan by dying upon the cross. But the Holy Spirit has a part in the scheme of redemption. Notice verses uh, 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted, have you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation? In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is our seal or pledge of, of our divine sonship. Ephesians 4 and 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the, unto the day of redemption. He is our earnest or our guarantee of our inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is given to us when we are baptized into Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2 and verse 38. The Holy Spirit is the means whereby we have access to the Father. Look at Ephesians 2.18. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. It is, it is the Holy Spirit is, is the way that we're built for a habitation of God. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 22. 
in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are strengthened by might through the Spirit in the inner man. Also, we, we are to keep the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4 and 3. The Holy Spirit is one, Ephesians 4 and 4. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4 and 30. We are to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5 and 18. And then we're to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6 and verse 17. You see, what I've tried to point out is that the Godhead was active in man's salvation. God, the Godhead was active in the creation of the world. God planned it. Jesus executed that plan, and the Holy Spirit perfected that plan. The Godhead was active in, the, in Revelation. Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit would come and reveal all truth, and the Holy Spirit did come and reveal all truth. And the Godhead is active in the plan of salvation. God was active. We're saved by God's grace. Christ was active. Jesus Christ died to save all humanity. He's the Savior of the world, and it's the Holy Spirit who revealed the plan. When we obey that plan, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Today... We have the great commission given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when people obey that gospel, they're saved. God has a scheme of redemption. The Godhead planned it, executed it, and has revealed that plan. I'd urge you to obey that plan. Now in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community and we want to encourage you right now to pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible course or if you prefer, call the site that you see on the screen. You can take the Bible course online. We want you to have this course regardless whether you ma we mail it to you or you take it online. We want you to study it because it will enable you to learn more about God's scheme of redemption. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you is my prayer. Being at Faulkner is like being a part of a big family. I feel safe here. It seems like I know everybody, and even my professors know me by name. My faith in Christ has grown a lot since coming to Faulkner especially working with this outstanding Bible department and seeing the general Christian lives of all the professors on campus. Faulkner University is a growing, academically strong institution where Christ is the center of everything we do. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.